Thursday, I think it was Thursday, Thursday or Friday, Millicent was really concerned about her little Elsa Lego doll, her little Elsa Lego piece. And so it had fallen behind um, the Expedit, you know, the Ikea furniture. And so it had fallen behind the Expedit and Millicent was convinced it was back there. And she said, Dad, I want you to get it. Dad, I want you to get it. She actually asked me probably 12 times. I was just slow in doing it. So finally, for the 13th time, I said, yeah, honey, I'll do it. So I reached because it's the... um, you know, it's got the, the holes in the expedit and they're like shelves. And so she knew it was back there. And so she said, dad, you'll need to pull it out and then look and see. And I said, no, honey, I don't need to. If it's right back there, I'll be fine. So I get down, move the things out of the way and, and I reach my hand in and I was reaching down there and I grabbed a leaf and we used to have like our nature table right there and like all the cool things that our kids would grab off the nature table would be there. And I was like, oh, a leaf fell back there. Dang it. So I pulled a leaf out and set it down. As I set it down, I realized this is not a leaf. This is a dead cockroach. <laughs> and I had grabbed its legs and pulled it out. And after having a very mild freak out, I threw it away. I washed my hands calmly. It's Houston, so I really shouldn't have been surprised, but I was not expecting it. The whole time, Millicent had said, you need to pull it out, Dad, and you probably need to shine a flashlight down there. Had I had the illumination to go over the top, I would have seen a there's a cockroach down there, and B, her stupid Elsa thing was not down there, so she had lost it somewhere else. But it wasn't her fault. She didn't know she couldn't see behind there. I shouldn't say stupid. Thank you, Emmy. Um, So uh, all I needed was some illumination. Some illumination would have helped me greatly to prevent me from stabbing in the dark and hoping I was getting at something that I wanted or needed back there. This is our bonus week of something different. Uh, We are going to be talking about prayer. Now, often we come to prayer, and sometimes either we think or we've been told prayer is a simple ordeal, and all you have to do is pray, and everybody encourages you, just pray, just pray, just pray. And you say, that's great and all, it sounds so simple, why don't I just do it? And so we take to prayer, we go at it blindly, we take a stab in the dark, thinking, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go for it. And certainly God invites us into his presence. He loves that we have a heart that is trying to find him. Even if we don't know where we're going or how it's working, he appreciates that. But wouldn't it be nice if we had some illumination? And some illumination to show us the way, to show us how God is asking for us to communicate and for us to see how God actually responds to different types of prayer. So today, we are going to look in Exodus 33. Uh, We didn't have time to get all of Exodus 33 into the system for it to be seen by you. So if you didn't, if you want a physical Bible in your hand, throw your hand up, we'll get one to you. Just hold it up and my friends will get it to you. If you have your cell phone and you're down with just looking on your phone and pulling that up, Exodus 33 is where we're going to be. What we're going to do today is ask God to illuminate for us 
a way of prayer so that we can know him more and communicate with him better. Okay? So will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you that you have shown us the way to you and that you have, as, as Chad said, that you have provided for us this conduit to you. But Lord, we ask for your illumination. Show us the way. Show us a way that we can communicate with you and know you more. This is about you, Jesus. Thank you so much for these moments. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so Exodus 33. If you want to turn there with me, it'll be very much to your front of the Bible. It's the second book. Exodus chapter 33. One of my favorite parts about uh, any type of story is really setting the stage, okay? Setting the stage, finding out the context of what's happened that has gotten us here. So I tried to make some quick bullet points. Exodus 33, Moses and uh, God are talking what's happened before here. So first of all, Israel has fled Egypt for the promised land. So they were stuck in the promised land, or they were stuck in Egypt. They were making their way to the promised land. The Israelites have made it right up to the Red Sea. They cried out to God, God, we are here. We can't go anywhere. We need you to do something. He stops the Red Sea, walls it up, and sends them forward across the Red Sea on dry ground. When Israel makes it all the way through, the Egyptians give chase, and then God says, water, return to normal operations. (laughs) So the water crashed down, wiped out the Egyptians that were in pursuit. Now Israel is on the other side of the Red Sea. They are on their way to the promised land. God says, I want to give you the law. I want to give you a way in which to worship me, how I want you as a people to be. And so Moses and Aaron go up to the mountain. They get the Ten Commandments as well as some of the law. They come down. They tell the people, this is what God has brought to us. And they say, yay. And then Moses says, okay, I'm going to go back up and I'm going to get a second copy because God wants this copy to be displayed so that everybody knows how they can worship me, how they can follow me. I want everybody on the same page. Moses goes back up and is in God's presence for 30 days. It's not like he went up for three hours, you know, the three-hour tour. So God goes, Moses goes up before God for 30 days. The people start to get antsy. They start to get real antsy. Has Moses left us? What is God doing? We need to do something. What can we do? I know. Let's make golden idols and worship them. This sounds like a good idea. They've already received the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments are about worshiping God alone and not worshiping idols. So apparently 30 days was too long for them to remember this. And they take the gold and they boil it down and they make these calves. And God's on the mountain with Moses and he says, while he's giving him the law, while he's giving him this this second copy, he says, by the way, I want you to go down because I'm about to kill all of them. And Moses said, what? And he said, they've made idols they are worshiping. And if you do not go down and intercede, there will not be a people. Moses goes down. He intercedes. Some of the people die 
because of their actions. Not all of them die. Now, they have been sent out there looking to the promised land. They want to get there. God has given them this law, and now what is going to happen next? See, isn't that exciting? It's so much better to know the backstory. So this gets us to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. This is a covenant fulfillment. God is still keeping his end of the bargain. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Uh, This is the biggest biff that Israel has biffed. They have gone flat out on their faces. They have sinned so arrogantly after just being told, literally, don't do this. And they said, okay. And then they went and did that exact thing. God comes to them. And here is something I don't want you to miss. Again, I did just say there was death in the camp for some of their sin. They have made some horrible choices. And you might read it and say, why would God do that? Don't miss his grace. Don't miss his grace. There are two specific instances where God is being gracious. One, this literally just happened. And he said to them, now, get ready and go, because I'm still taking you to the promised land. And I am still going to lead the way. And I'm going to make it possible for you to have the promised land, the inheritance that I said I would bring about for you. It's still happening. So already, this is just a massive amount of grace. But furthermore, the grace that God exhibits to tell the people, now, I'm angry. I'm real angry. And I don't know what to do with you yet. But I'm going to calm down, and I'm going to figure out what's going to happen. So you all just be over there. Now, did any of you ever retreat or receive that gracious, tr- gracious treatment from your parents? Or as parents, if you have been wise and said, slow down, do not act in anger, if you did teach me how to do that, um, like my wife is really good at being able to be calm before coming into a situation or giving herself some space to deal with the situation. Sometimes August and Emmeline and Millicent Sometimes I have to apologize because I've been frustrated really fast. I haven't modeled what God is modeling here, his gracious love to say, I'm angry with you. I don't know what to do with you right now, but give me some space. 
he, this, that's grace. That's grace, him not acting in his quite justified anger at his people who have sinned so directly and arrogantly against him. And he says, just give me some space. So God has spoken to Moses, and now Moses is going to speak back to God. Uh, the rest of the verses, uh, 7 through 11, it's kind of setting, if you were imagining writing a movie script, again, setting the stage, how is this going to look? Now, it describes this scene of Moses going to the tent of meeting and how all of Israel came out of their tents and came to the front of the tents and looked down toward the sunset as Moses went in. I mean, it, it, like, you can see this cinematic scene being set forth and the camera set just over the shoulder as the people looked onward. Moses is going before God. What is God going to say? What's going to happen to us? What is our future? And Moses goes back to talk to God. Now, right as we start, I want it to be known. Moses and God are about to have a conversation. This is not a a feeling of a situation. I feel God is moving in this way. I feel God is saying these things. It is God saying these things. It's a conversation. God to man, God speaks. Moses hears. Moses answers. God hears. God speaks. There is a conversation that is happening here, which is just wild to think about because all of us, we say, I talk to God all the time. I haven't heard a word from him. And that's okay. But just let it be known this has happened before. And this is kind of, so set this stage. There is a conversation that is about to happen. Now, once Moses begins his conversation, he launches into a very unique and fascinating approach to prayer. This is what we're talking about today. He prays to God. He reminds God what God has said. This is Moses' approach. He is going to remind God all the things that God said to him. Okay? So join with me down in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Reminder one, see, you said this to me. You said that you were going to bring them up. You told me to do it. This is what you said. 12b Our second reminder, yet you, God, have said, I know you by name, and I have also found, and you also have found favor in my sight. God, you said that I was favored. You said that I was close. Our third reminder comes right at the beginning of verse 13. Now, therefore, if... If I have found favor in your sight, you told me I had favor. You told me I had favor in your sight. If I have had favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Reminder number four, right here at the end of verse 13. Consider too that this nation is your people. 
I, I, I'm going to try to read this as passionately, but without like putting too much hmm, hinted emotion in, at what's happening here, because I just see this retort. It's almost as Moses saying, by the way, they're your people. I mean, I'm a part of them, but they're your people. You got yourself into this mess. Consider this, that this nation is your people. You wanted this. You wanted this. Verse 14, and he said, this is now God back to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, Moses now saying back to God, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's reminding God again what he just said. You just said that you are going to be with us and give us rest. Well, if you're not going to, don't even. Just don't even bring us up because this is going to fail miserably. If you're not with us, it's not happening. You said you would, so be good on it. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of this earth? The reminder that God has to send his presence. And if God said at one point, you will be my people and you will represent me. Uh, Use your Bibles. Go back. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Go to verse 5. I've preached on this before. I just, this is kind of what Moses is referencing here. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you indeed, this is God talking, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Moses is throwing this back at God. If you are sending us out and we are supposed to be this treasured possession, this people that is distinct from all others, if you're not with us, don't do it because we have to have you. We have to have you. Now, Moses has, at least as I've documented it, he has reminded God six different times six different times about what God has said. He said, if you're coming, if you're, if you're going to say these things, I want you to remember what you have said to us. Don't blot us out. Don't send us off and not come with us. We need you. We have to have you. It's, it's necessary. Now, have you, have you ever been mad at God because everything around you didn't feel like it was matching up with who he said he was or what he said he'd do? Have you ever felt unable to talk with anybody about it? Because if you were to actually go to your friend and say, I think God's letting me down, that a lightning bolt would miraculously appear and smite you. We come to this passage of scripture and we have in Moses 
somebody who is doing that exact thing. And he's coming to God and saying, I have to have you. I need you because what is happening right here doesn't seem like it's lining up with what I thought you would do. And if you're going to do it, and if we're really on your side, then we need you to be present. Sometimes we say, God, I need you to show up. Well, God's, he's shown up. He's everywhere. He's here. We just need to see that presence. God, we've got to see you. This is what Moses is crying out. He lets God know that he's both mad, that he's hurt, and that he's also unable to do anything without God. So maybe it started out with hands as fists kind of up in frustration, yet eventually it turns into hands that are outstretched in desperation. Okay? It starts out with hands up in frustration, but very quickly turns into hands extended in desperation. It's a good thing to be here. It's a good thing to be right there. Because right there is exactly where we were unintentionally this morning. Hands up in frustration. Why aren't the movers here? Why can't we get our, our, our set up as beautifully as we normally do? And if you have been here lots of times and you don't think it's that great, you just be quiet. It's wonderful. It's great. So why couldn't we have our wonderful setup normally? God, why would you do this? And then it turned very quickly into the open hands of desperation. God, we, have, we need you. We need all of you. We need you in your presence full on in this room because what are we doing otherwise? This is about you. This is for you. This is in your name. Hands open in desperation. God hears Moses' reminders. And I've already read it, but Moses then, he gives these crazy, bold requests right after the reminders. So go back to verse 12. He said, who are you going to send with me? If you're here and you are here and you are on my side, then show me how you're going to help me. That's a pretty bold request. God, if you're here, show up. Do something. Prove it. Prove it. Verse 13, he starts out and he says, this is probably like, this gives me the chills. Verse 13, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, if you're going to prove it, what do I, how, how do I want you to prove it? How do I want you to manifest yourself? Show me your ways. Show me your ways. He's railing at God. He cries out to him. He said, if you're going to be present, what's his big, bold request? What does he say? Show me your ways. I want to know you. Show me your ways so that it goes on that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. I actually, this is a beautiful thing. Verse 13 starts off by saying, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. 
if I'm favored, let me know you so that I can be favored. He is desperately crying out to God and saying, show me you. I want you. I want you and all of you full on. That is what he is praying for. He is not praying just for safety. He is not praying for all things to go well for them. What he is praying is, I want more of you, God. Fill me. Let me see you. Let me know you in the most intimate and dear sort of way. That's what I need from you, is you. How often are we praying this? How often are we praying this? If you are a mission partner or you are a part of Neartown Church, I want to encourage you, grab these books. We have these booklets in the back. They are for you to take and to record prayer requests. You're going to ask somebody, how can I pray for you? We're going to go to God and actually pray for them. And then we'll follow up with them. Hey, I've been praying for you. How is that going? But if this prayer book only leads to us sending out the God, gimme, gimme, gimme prayers, I think we're missing the fact that God, through doing this, we get to go before God. And we get to experience him. And we get to hear him. And he, us. And we get to have this conversation. God is giving us more and more of him. It's a joy. And Moses is modeling how we can do that here. He goes on, verse 15. Verse 15, if you're not going to go with us, don't bring us up from here. God, don't strand us. We're desperate for you. We need you. Don't strand us. Verse 16, be with us so that we can stand apart. If you have said that we are going to stand apart, if you've said that we are going to be your people and you are going to care for us, we have got to have you be present in us to make a difference. And then Moses does the biggest, craziest thing, I think, of all. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please show me your glory. If he wasn't clear before, God, I want you, I want all of you, show me your glory. Moses literally just came from 30 days on the mountain with God. And that's not enough. Bring it on. God, show me your glory. I want more of you. Moses, through his hands and his fists up in frustration, reminded God of all that he said. And then he left his hands out in desperation, begging and crying for God to be present in a way that only he can. God listened. God answered. God was faithful. Now, this little passage illuminates that so much about God's character is here. So much about his actions are present. And he also shows us how we can pray to him in this way. So what are some of his characteristics, his character that we see who is God? God is grace. 
God is good. God is patient. God is understanding. He's faithful. He's kind. He's just. He is holy. He is love. All of these are in this passage. This is who God is and who he shows himself to be. What does he do? He hears. He listens. He answers. He relents. He doesn't just lay waste to all of Israel. Instead, he comes near. He brings his presence. Now, I said, this passage helps set up for us a way that we can pray. So how can we pray like this? How can we pray like this? Pray his words. God spoke, Moses heard, and Moses spoke back to God the things that God said. He spoke back to God his own words. Pray his character. You see, God is grace. God is love. Pray to God in his character. God, I know you are love, and you act in love. You are kind. Your kindness is seen all around. Pray that back to God. Pray that you see it. Pray his actions. Lord, I know that you have come by my brother time and again. And I ask you, because you have moved in this way before, move in this way again. God, you have spoken that you will protect this people. Lord, protect them again. These are the ways that we can pray. But I know I'm walking you through that. Sometimes you might be saying, that's great. That still doesn't help me to know how to do it. Because there's one critical aspect missing. We need to know God's words to pray God's words to him. We've got to know what God is saying to pray those words. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to know his words. We need to know his character. We need to know his actions. We, just like Moses cried for, we need to know him. We need to know him. Knowing God illuminates our brokenness, our needs, but it also illuminates how loved we are, and it illuminates Christ, our Savior, where we have an answer, where we have care, where we can find healing. So how do we do that here at Neartown Church? Well, great step. You showed up on a Sunday morning. We are going to continue to go over God's word. We're going to point you to him. I want to show you what God has said so you know, okay, this is what God said. But if this one service is the only time you're getting into this, I think you'll find there's a whole lot more that God has to say to us. And so we invite you to be a part of our loop groups. Those are our midweek gatherings with a bunch of other believers in houses. And if you want in on that action, I invite you. Come be part of mine. I have room for you in my living room. Fill out the Connect card. Put your name, a good contact place, and say, I want to join a loop group. But starting soon, there will be a meeting right after church, right out there on the patio. If you are interested in saying, okay, that's great, but I feel like I want to get in God's word a little bit more. I need to be surrounded by people who I can be, uh, I can 
tell honest, deep things to that I'm not going to feel too shy about. We're going to gather in groups of two or three people and we're going to go over God's word and we're going to say, God, what do you have for me in it? These are going to be called fit groups. I want to invite you, if, if the loop group thing, if your nights have been busy and you can't fit that in, but you still want to get in God's word and know him and be around other believers who are going to encourage you in that, then please show up out there and let's talk about fit groups. That might be a great place for you to connect to God and to others here at Neartown. When thinking about praying God's words back to him, let's remember, God is not a genie. God is not a genie. He isn't to be bent to our wants and our wishes. Just like Sarah said in the video, he's going to change our hearts to align with his. So instead of fighting for our will and our way and our kingdom, we'll start as we're in prayer and in process of learning more of who he is, we're going to start to honestly learn, yearn, not learn, yearn for him to bring his will and his way and his kingdom here on earth and in everywhere. So as we're closing this down, why don't we practice? Why don't we practice? So where you are, bow your heads. Band, if you want to come up as we're going to transition. Think back to this passage and think back to the ways that God has shown up His character has been revealed and his actions have been revealed through his conversation with Moses. In those same ways, where you are silently, pray some of those things back to God. Maybe you feel God hasn't been present in your life. Maybe you feel that that this God who is love and this God who is gracious is very foreign to you. Where you are, Pray to God. Say, God, I know that you are gracious. I know that you have promised to be with your people. In Christ, I can be part of your people. Lord, I need you. I need you to show up. I need you to be present. What else is God putting on your heart right now to pray to him? Where is God leading you to cry out to him? 